0: Part-time fanboy. Part-time fanboy doing my thing. More powerful than
1: a locomotive. Oh yeah, do
0: it part. Oh yeah, part. Oh, yeah, part. Oh, yeah part
2: time Part-time fanboy.com How have you been? I've been all right. I've been uh, busy working hard, I guess. Yeah. I (laughs) guess so.
1: Seems like it seems like it. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the part-time fanboy podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here.
1: It's great to have you. Uh, It's almost been like, I think it's been like a year since we chatted.
2: It it has. Yeah. I was checking uh, the dates and almost a year to the day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Almost a year. Yeah. 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 I should say who you are. You are Ari Gross, right? Did I get the name? That's right. Correct. All right. You know, I just want to get pronunciations correct. And uh, you were previously on this podcast for a Kickstarter project you had going called Awakening. Awakening, right? It's just singular, right? Not plural. That's right. One
2: Awakening. Yeah. I actually
1: just reread that this morning. I downloaded it to reread it and check it out again. And very well done. I should say very well done comic book. And, uh, you are back on, uh, I should say, my name is Christian Horn. The introductions are always awkward with me. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you have a Kickstarter going on and it's called Wardens, correct?
2: That's right. Wardens number one. It's Warden's an ongoing series. Uh, yeah. It's an ongoing series. And this is the, the first of them.
1: Yeah. 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 Oh, it's ongoing or limited to like six or something. I think I, I checked it out on the Kickstarter page. Is it,
2: uh, both yes and no Uh, (laughs) i've written drafts for the first six issues because that's a single self-contained arc uh it would be nice to keep going after that but we'll get to six and we'll see what happens
1: yeah nice so it's currently on kickstarter it's going on you're you got like As of this recording, it's probably going to be, like, it says 19 days to go, but when this interview goes up, maybe like uh, 16, 15, because it's going to take a couple of days to edit, as it always does with Mm me. Um, It is called Part-Time Fanboy, folks. I have to remind everyone. (laughs) Um, But this looks great, man. Like, I was just looking at the project again this morning. You know, I've gotten your emails and stuff, and I love the concept. I love the art Um, I love so much. Yeah. Everything looks like really great. I mean, the things that it reminds me of, at least visually, uh, you know, reminds me a little bit of Popeye reminds me a little bit of like Tintin in there, Mm -hmm. uh, stuff like that. Obviously you've got like a little bit of a, a reward that, uh, um, harkens back to like Mario brothers a little bit, but, um, this, this looks great. Let people know what it is because this is the sort of thing that I'm just like, yeah, more people should know about this because uh, I just love the cultural aspect of it. I love, you know, the idea, and you know, it's just great. So just yeah, just tell people because this is the sort of
2: thing that makes me excited when I when I check it out. Well, it's it's awesome that you're into it. I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Uh, so Wardens is a story that takes place in 1926 in a region of Toronto called the Ward, St. John's Ward, but most people who lived in it just called the Ward at the time. It is uh, a region of town that was the the slums. Uh, it was a multicultural immigrant working class neighborhood, uh, but it was not known for being the part of Toronto where the rest of Toronto wanted to hang out. It was mostly people immigrated from places like Eastern Europe, so a large uh, Jewish population. At this time, a lot of people were coming in around the late 19th century to you know 1930s, 40s. Uh, It it had a large Chinese population, a large black population, which had actually been there for uh, many decades, an Italian population. So it was the the part of town where uh, when people came from elsewhere to Toronto, if you were sort of an Anglo-Saxon, someone of British descent, you can go a lot of places. If you were sort of a poor Eastern European, then you couldn't go a lot of places. You ended up in the ward. Yeah. Uh, so the the word focuses on this sort of small community. It's not even geographically that big a space. I wanted to focus it, make it real, sort of tight and focused. Uh, and it focuses on the in this issue predominantly the Jewish community, but also, as I mentioned, the Chinese, Black, Italian communities, as we'll get to much more in the in the later issues as it sort of spirals out and we see different uh, different characters dealing with their own stuff. Uh, but it's a supernatural action series. A uh, bit of comedy, a bit of drama, a bit of, you know, a uh, bit of terror, a bit of whatever. Uh, and it deals, uh, its main, his main characters are uh, Rachel Tussman, who's a seamstress helping out at a synagogue where she's staying, trying to save some money to do something. Uh, she's immigrated to, in, to Canada uh, at a very young age. She's got a sister. They both grew up in the ward, and they're trying to sort of figure out what to do with their lives. Because, you know, do we stay in this this sort of place that's, you know, like, like how how do we make it? There's got to be something more. Uh, but everything takes a, a sharp left turn when there's sort of a, a disaster at the place. Uh, there's a fire where Rachel works, uh, several people die, and it creates uh, this supernatural uh, uh, villain known as the Shmata, which Shmata, for those of you who don't know, is Yiddish for rag. The clothing industry is called the Shmata business. Uh, and it's sort of this this villainous character who's out for revenge uh, against whoever started the fire, trying to figure out the source of their demise. And uh, and and Rachel's life gets turned upside down because of that. And so uh, she'll have to come together with, uh, with her sister, with uh, her sister's sort of secret Chinese boyfriend. At the time, uh, mixed relationships were really not something that people were doing so mm. much. Uh, like a little bit, but like it was not very public. And so that's a whole thing as well. And uh, with this other character who's briefly introduced here, but we'll see a lot more in issue too, the black jazz trombonist, uh, Nick Hubbard. And come together to uh, to figure out the source of the fire, uh, deal with the schmata, and keep the ward from this spiraling gang war that threatens to tear it apart. That's so great. I mean, everything about
1: this just is perfectly like up my alley. I mean, I'm a big fan of you know 20th century history, like turn of the century, like a hundred years ago stuff like that, and and the prohibition era and world war one world war two and stuff like that and i'm just like this this just looks like right up my like i was like looking at the project uh this morning and i just threw money i, I was just like yeah i gotta get the digital <laughs> oh, issue to this because i was just <laughs> like yeah i have to contribute to this because i mean it just not only like does the concept and stuff like who is your artist too like the artist is let me see it's on the page but you probably yeah, know it his, off
2: the top of your head. Yeah, I'll just tell you his name is Rob Jennix. Okay, uh, he's worked on a couple of series before. One called Morgan's Organs, which is sort of like uh, Inside Out but with a uh, body or bodily organs. Okay, uh, where like uh, so so that's like a comedy series. It's pretty funny. Uh, he's another called Broadleaf, I think. Uh, which uh, I think the first issue for that's out. I think they're working on the second. So he's been doing a few things recently, uh, a few ongoing series. He is from uh new waterford nova scotia which is for those of you who don't know new waterford which is like almost everybody it's a small town in the eastern part of canada uh, the maritimes a lot of canada uh i found him online uh it took me a long time to find an artist for the series let me tell you i was like looking for months like three four months Reaching out, asking tons of people. A lot of people got back to me, but there was really nobody right for the job until he came along. Uh huh. Because this was one of those series where, as you can tell, like it it deals with a lot of like serious issues. It deals with a lot of things that like you could easily tell a story about people living in a poor part of town and all the misery they face. And I didn't want it to be down. I wanted to have a sort of energy that, despite all all the things they have to deal with, all the fact you know. Like all the labor issues, the the race issues, all the the sexism, I wanted to be sort of upbeat and uh, have a a lot of energy to it, and also be in a visual style that's kind of similar to early 20th century cartooning. Yeah, I mean, one of the inspirations uh, for me was uh, Milt Gross, no relation to me as far as I know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but he was a cartoonist from literally 100 years ago. He was this sort of Jewish cartoonist who wrote. Uh, the way people speak, almost like a very sort of uh, heavily accented uh, way. Uh, he And he was like super popular. And one of these guys that like, if you don't know, like history of like early stuff, because like he never got popular afterwards. It was just sort of a, a man of his time, you know. Uh-huh. And I started getting into all this sort of old stuff and these characters, you know, with these sort of like these, you know, big comical noses and very sort of, you know, balloony sort of shapes. Uh, and I was like, I want something that's kind of similar to that visual style for wardens i want something that looks like it could have been drawn you know sort of a hundred years ago obviously it wasn't you know the visual conventions and cartooning and storytelling and and comic have changed quite a bit then but something that sort of is reminiscent of that older style and has that kind of a fun energy and the upbeatness uh that you know when someone reads it they're they're going to want to keep going because it's it, you know, it's sort of like, it lifts your mood up. It doesn't beat it down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And, you know, success all around. I mean, was this his kind of style before you contacted him? Or was it sort of the the type of thing where you were like, this is what I'm looking for. Can you
2: adapt your style to this? His, his style is pretty similar. Yeah. I That's mean, this great. is not, yeah. He, he was the right guy for the job, which was like, that's that's saying a lot because there there was really nobody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, no,
1: I mean, I should like say that. just looking at the artwork on the yeah. Kickstarter page and stuff. And again, it's called Wardens. Uh, and uh, that was the first thing that like really struck out, that stuck out to me, like where I was just like, oh, this looks like, like I said, like reminded me a bit of like Popeye, like even Tintin, which visually is a, a comic that I love, but I've never been like a, Huge fan of like story wise, I, like I I have a joke with a friend. It's like the whitest comic ever made, um, like. <laughs> but this is not like that in that aspect. Like I found it very interesting, and then I started like doing a you know reading the description and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is different. Like this doesn't seem like the same sort of thing, you know. That's just being put out by everyone, and and like again, I loved the artwork, and I just loved the the style of it. And, you know, just sort of like the cultural, you know, dealing with sort of uh, the era and the fact that, you know, there's a very central like sort of like Jewish aspect to it. You know what I'm saying? Like and and other races, too. But I just found it like really cool. Like I was like, oh, and to your point, like, again, looking at the artwork, it seems very kind of like all ages, too. Like it seems something that would be accessible to you Know teens, you know, younger readers and stuff like that. Like, it, it just looks like all around, like a really interesting and great package. So, again, I just oh, thanks so much. To yeah, totally dive in there. Yeah,
2: yeah. I uh, it's funny because someone asked me, like, what ages is your comic for? And I'm like, I don't know.
0: Uh huh, like, yeah, <laughs> I get the same thing. Like kids too, can yeah. read
2: it, there's so, one thing I've, I've tried to do is there's no sort of no hard swearing, but there's a lot of swearing in Yiddish. Okay, <laughs> so gotcha. Figure all that out. Uh, there's that's one of my goals too is teach people how to swear in yiddish because it's one of the most fun languages to swear in gotcha uh, maybe i'll have some swearing later in cantonese and issue two or something <laughs> <laughs> so uh, do you speak yiddish and so, Like, like you understand uh, i speak it or... a bit of the yiddish yeah nice uh, i took an intensive uh course in yiddish years ago but since then i've learned dutch and german so all my germanic languages are combined into one sort of mishmash oh wow uh, but i do have on my shelf right next to me i have a Yiddish English dictionary from around this time period, which was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I don't know, my family's Jewish. So I just know a bunch of Yiddish, like just sure. terms of phrases, like the things you would say, you know. Uh, so actually, a lot of the, the dialogue is supposedly like it's in, like translated Yiddish. There's stuff that's anything that has a little blue balloon, uh, blue uh, blue border for the uh, word balloon is supposed to be translated from Yiddish. And then it's oh, gotcha. just a bunch of dialogue that's you know with normal word balloons that just has Yiddish words in it that people will have to deal with as they uh, as they read it. <laughs> and, yeah, but a lot of it's one thing I've tried very hard to do is make this highly accessible to people who aren't from, you know, like a Ashkenazi Jewish background, which is like the vast majority of people, you know, yeah. Uh, so anytime I reference something or I use a term, it's used in a, a broader context that people could understand what it means. So there's one point where someone calls someone anafka, which is Yiddish for prostitute. Uh-huh. And then the person responds, I might as well be a prostitute, all the ass, I have to kiss all day. And then there's like another tag to the joke. and But like, you know, the, the dialogue is there to support uh, people's understanding of the terms. So people don't have to like, you know, be on their phones every two seconds being like, what's this word mean, you know? Sure, understood, like, understood. You should be able to get it from context. Uh-huh. Understood.
1: Well, there <laughs> goes your all ages label with the prostitute. Stuff. <laughs> <There goes my laughs> no, I mean, But it looks great. I mean, everything looks like great. And I love the, I love like what you're kind of, not even trying to do what you're doing because I'm, you know, I see the example pages and stuff like that. And, And I love that you're approaching this from your sort of, own cultural background right and and you know because i mean part of the history of comics right i mean the history of the entertainment industry at least in the u.s right is very much like which is where i am and you are canadian and you know mm-hmm. they're not one and the same we should say but you know i sh- the part of the history of it is like very much like uh you know jewish creators creating things for like the mass market and nobody really knowing that hey this is these are Jewish people that made this, you know, and, and the history behind it and stuff like that. But this is very much like foot forward. Like, this is what we, this is the culture that I, uh, that we're dealing with. This is the culture that I'm in. This is the culture that I'm kind of like educating, not, you know, not in a hanging banging your head over the, you know, like with a hammer educating, but like telling a story in that culture and that it's just one of the things that I found like, Oh, this is great because It is unique and different, and it looks presented in a way, at least to me, that, like you were saying, would not uh, make it hard for me to understand what these people are going through, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My goal is to make this one of those books that... If you know, you know, and you're gonna, it's gonna be extra fun <laughs> for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you don't know, you will learn, and then you're gonna be in on the joke. Sure. In on, you know, the the context because it's not, it's not designed to keep people out. It's designed to bring to, to bring people in. Yeah. Uh And and yeah, to to that point, uh, the the history of comics is, especially early comics, is is largely like like Jewish history. Yeah. I mean, first superheroes created by Jewish people, Superman, Batman, all of Marvel, Jack Kirby, Captain America, like, like you name it. Like in the early days, people were writing, you know, these were Jewish people writing comics. It was this new industry yeah. that wasn't a big fancy industry. Same with Hollywood in the early days. It wasn't, people were, weren't getting in there because uh, that's where the money was. People were getting in there because they couldn't get into other industries. Yeah, Uh, A lot of people were actually just like not allowed in the other industries. If you hear uh, people like Harvey Kurtzman uh, and, uh, uh, geez, uh, Al Al Jaffe talk about the history of Mad Magazine, uh, they were talking about being a writer at the time, and they're saying, well, people didn't want Jewish writers, so we just sort of did our own thing. And then that thing just became the biggest thing Yeah. Because, you know, they had the the humor, they're sort of that, you know, they had an angle that nobody else had. And because uh, no one else was doing these, like the first comic book, 1933, it was, I think, a comedy anthology uh, published by a Jewish guy. And no one thought that was going to be a big deal. It was just sort of like there were newspaper comic strips. And he's like, what if we commission people to make something similar, because everyone loves newspaper comics, but in a a magazine? Yeah. Uh, It was a revolutionary idea at the time, but it wasn't seen as being like high prestige. It was like newspaper comics. It wasn't, it was just kind of like, here's a cheap way to sell stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it was like just people struggling to get by. Yeah. I mean, Stan Lee, you know, he didn't go by Stanley Lieber, which is his birth name. He went by Stan Lee and part of it. Uh, might be because he didn't want, you know, the uh, sort of the Jewish name, like almost everyone changed their name. Kirby, you know, Kurtzberg became Kirby and all that. Yeah. But also the way he tells it, and it's hard to pick out, you know, sort of the truth in the story, especially with someone like Stan Lee, who's all story. Uh, he wanted to keep Lieber for when he made, like, his, you know, the great American novel. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah, yeah. Real things that were worthy. Comics wasn't worthy. Comics was just stuff to pay the bills.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it
2: just turns out that, you know, like, You know, 60 years later, like billion dollar properties are based all on these things that these people came up with that they didn't see becoming big, you know, or if they did, they certainly didn't, you know, didn't, didn't say it at the time, you know, maybe in their wildest dreams, you know, but, uh, but yeah. So, and and the other thing I wanted to, to, to include in this comic is, is have sort of a Jewish focus because the people weren't writing stories that featured Jewish characters. Mostly, they're writing stories for the mass market. Yeah, you know, if you're writing a story about someone socking it to Hitler in 1940, like you don't put on a, a Jewish superhero. You give this blonde-haired, blue-eyed Captain America character, right? Yeah, you know, he's Steve Rogers. Like he's the all-American male. He's like, you know, the quintessential. Yeah, whatever the hell you know, that means. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's this, you know, this idea of this, like, you know, the the the, the classical, like, you know, sort of like white American figure uh you know like the football star like that's the guy that is going to be popular it's not going to be this weird ethnic guy that like especially at the time people were like I don't, I don't even know if we trust these guys anyway you know yeah so so you can see the reasons for people doing it there's commercial reasons predominantly because comics are a thing they made to sell not a thing they made because they were a labor of love you yeah. know like they, jack Kirby wasn't drawing 13 hours a day because just because he loved it, like he was trying to pay bills and get sure, like, sure, you know, health insurance and stuff. Like absolutely, you know? yeah. Uh, so I wanted to be like, now that we're at a time where, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not trying to make you know this comic for this broad market as possible. I'm trying to make you know like a comic that speaks to a particular story that even if these people wanted to tell, they wouldn't tell because it wouldn't be commercially successful. And I don't know. I mean, a lot of them also saw themselves more as uh, more American than Jewish. You know, trying to get out from the sort of the old world, uh, identity and into the new identity, the identity of being American about being, you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the melting pot sort of, sort of ethos. Yeah. No, so I'm no, sort I... of taking a step back in the different direction and just saying, Oh, they did that. Now I'm doing something else. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I mean,
1: I'm first generation American. I mean, I'm, uh, my parents are, you know, not from the U S and I totally, have always kind of like understood that thing of like, I'm American, but I'm also from this other country. Like, you know what I mean? Like the backgrounds and stuff Mm -hmm. and trying to sort of establish yourself as an American. But you're Canadian. And that's one of the things that while I was reading, obviously me being the ignorant American, I don't know like tons of history about like your country. And I was just fascinated that like, Oh, they had prohibition in Canada as well. Like they had, yep. like they had like racism in Canada as well. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like they had like all the anti-Semitism, like all this stuff that we had. Wow. It's not just a, you know what I mean? I mean, there, I mean, yeah. you do hear stories about like, like black soldiers going overseas, like in world war one and and the French treating them like, you know, completely normal and like, Oh my God. And then having to come back to the U S and being like, what the fuck did I fight for? And, and stuff like that. Right. So there are stories where you're sort of like, well, you know, it wasn't everywhere, but just like reading it, it, it's, I mean, obviously our countries are very, you know, there's a border we're close to each other, but um, it's interesting to me to see how some of that history is intertwined, and some of some of the sort of like cultural uh, goodness and badness
2: is is similar. You know what I mean? Yeah, certainly at this time, a lot of the uh, the cultural similarities between Canada and the U.S. are are very similar. I mean, yeah. the differences within Canadian culture is largely dependent on the uh, place you are in Canada, which is a a massive country. Yeah, uh, but people tend to be very geographically disparate. I mean, the big divisions within Canadian culture tend to be more along the rural-urban split, which is similar to the U.S. culture and yeah. really everywhere else in the world. I mean, those are always the biggest differences. Is like, do you live in the city? Do you live in the country? You tend to have different values, ethos, uh, you know, usually religious affiliations, uh, although not always. But depending where you are, uh, but the biggest uh, different, but, uh, sorry, the biggest similarities, at least uh, in this case, was the fact that the overwhelming sort of, you know, like. The, the overwhelming sort of issues of like, you know, racism and integration and stuff like that, uh, that you will find in a place like, like New York, you know, people coming and they're not really accepted in the rest of the city. So they do their own thing in this one corner, like the Lower East Side, Chinatown, those sort of histories about New York. Like that's, I think, the most similar to this in uh, in the ward because it's really focused. It's not even about like Toronto. It's about like a part of Toronto that most of Toronto didn't go to. Yeah. Uh, which is, which I wanted to tell almost this like little micro history, uh, you know, a place that's just so different and unique that it's not, you know, it's it's like other places, but it's it's really its own thing. So here, for example, you have the the Jewish area on Center Avenue, which is a real, these are all real places that currently exist, except for uh, all the places that were torn down to make room for like City Hall and expropriated in the 1950s and 60s. That's a whole other story. Sure, sure. But uh, the, yeah. I mean, it was the poor area, and eventually people were trying to clear the slums, and eventually they did. They yeah. now it's like there there are poor people in the ward. Those people uh, are homeless people who are sleeping on vents and are passed by thousands of people who are like going to their like bank jobs there. Yeah, like, right now the ward is like doesn't exist as a community it exists as a it's the downtown center of financial toronto oh and wow this, that's where city hall is that's where all the major corporations are that's the biggest that's where like the most money in probably the whole country is uh which is totally interesting because you know in a, in a century or even you know 60 years it's gone from a poor immigrant neighborhood to like if you, if you were to like even consider buying property in that area, unless it's like a condo, like you can't buy a house in the ward. I don't think there are houses in the ward uh-huh, anymore. Uh-huh. You know, it's all like skyscrapers. Wow. Uh, I pass by it every day because I walked to work and it was funny. There's a few signs up uh, about, you know, the history of it. And I just started reading them because I happened to just walk along those streets. And like, you know, the old Eden's factory where everyone was sewing, uh, working as seamst- uh, seamstresses, as tailors. I mean, that's, so in my book, I have a place called Stones, which is a stand-in for the real factory, which was Eaton's, which served a department store also called Eaton's, which is big, a uh, big thing in Canada, uh, at least a big thing in Toronto where it used to be before they went under and sold Eaton's to whatever. It's a whole whatever, you know. Oh, come gotcha, and go gotcha. Of, uh, Businesses.
1: One of those but, disappearing uh, sort of like department store things, or like.
2: It's, yeah, I think it's more that the company itself the company uh, sold to another thing. But right now, if you say the Eaton Center in Toronto, everyone who lives here knows what that is. That's the biggest mall here. It takes up, like, a massive block, uh, many floors. Uh, it's huge. It's, like, the biggest mall. That was, like, again, literally just, like, shantytown, like, sort of slum area. People were like living right next door to the factory where they went and worked and made clothes that they could sell in the department store, which is around where that is. Yeah. But people who went to the department store didn't like hang out in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, they like went and shopped there and got their stuff and left. Like, they weren't, you know, <laughs> sure. It, it, it's just, it's such a different scene that I really wanted to like take it back to a time where like it's so almost like inconceivable. It's if you did a story about like Wall Street except everyone on Wall Street was living in like a, a, a shack. Sure. You know, and you just called it Wall Street or something like that. It was like so back in time, you know, uh, different. God, it's interesting because, I mean,
1: what we're talking about, like when we were discussing sort of the background of this book is are, are like very sort of kind of like serious things that have happened over the ages or like things that we're confronting. But the but I I, I do want to let people know that this looks like fun like there's action the the characters are like really cute like this this is not like some sort of like oh you know downtrodden serious like poor people in a slum y- you know what i mean like like it, it's very much like it looks like people like living their lives in a lively neighborhood and you know which is what a lot of these places were right
2: i mean even even if it yeah, was just because people were poor didn't mean they were always miserable yeah exactly I, I can certainly point to enough rich people that seem miserable too. yeah you know like it's I, yeah i want to make the distinction uh between you know people not having a lot of money and people living uh and and, and sad stories because a lot of jewish history is you know there's lots of sad stories of course but there's lots of you know there, there's sort of a, a a feel if you watch something like okay here I'll, I'll tell you sort of the the best analogy for this is like Fiddler on the roof if yeah. you've ever seen or heard Fiddler on the Roof, you know that it's a pretty upbeat story, all things considered, in terms of, like, there's a lot of energy to it, a lot of sort of positivity, despite the fact that the entire story is about, like, some guy losing his, uh, marrying off his daughters, some of whom to people he doesn't agree with, can't yeah. deal with the fact the world's changing, and eventually him and everyone they know get kicked out of their village. Yeah. Uh, like, it's it's a tragedy. Like, yeah. if you were to just follow that arc of, like, Tevia, Tevia starts poor, ends even poorer. Yeah, like, he doesn't win. There's no winning in that. It's, but you can watch it and feel a sense of sort of positive nostalgia, or a sense of even if it's not, you know, the nostalgia for for your culture, you get the sense of like you know, even though these people are, you know, have miserable things happening to them, they're still celebrating. There's a wedding scene. They're still dancing. Yeah. They're still singing. There's still that upbeat vibrancy. Well, it's also a universal
1: message sort of, right? Like time going by and you feeling like things, and you have to change or it's not going to get, you know, things are not going to get like, right? Like there's the, you, and that's, that's what I kind of want people to know about this story is like, it's seen, we're, we're talking about, particular culture and cultures, but it's what's happening is universal is a universal experience at least at least from what I'm seeing, right?
2: yeah. and th- and thank you for for mentioning that because that's one of the things I tried very hard with this book to do is try to do the, you know, uh, universality from specificity uh, where you tell a very specific story and someone might not, you know, relate to that one specific thing a person did, but they can understand that's like, this specific thing that their grandmother did which is a little different than what other people did you know yeah it's the kind of you the thing i wanted to get like when watching something like uh like like ms marvel uh you know the the series or reading it like my kids love reading ms marvel we don't have any like relationship to like you know a pakistani community yeah but you understand that it's you know like a group of people who've got their thing going on and you can you learn a little bit about that you appreciate a bit about that and it feels like a fun you know lived in world because it's not just so generic and cookie cutter, because it's got a certain uh perspective to it, you know? Yeah. Like a certain it's rooted in a certain community that's not so so generic as to be bland, to like, you know, to 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 try to look like it's for everybody. And then trying to be like it's not, you know, like I guess visual or obviously for everybody, it's for someone, it becomes for everybody because everyone has that you know, that their own little community that they can look at things and be like, Oh yeah, this is, this is like us, but different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's the thing that I always say, I've even said several times on this podcast, which is like the more different we are, the more the same we are. I mean, one of the things that the joke in my family is, I mean, I'm half Colombian and half Estonian. So, but the Colombian thing is what I was mostly raised in because my father passed when I was young. And Um, but there's this thing, you know, and I'm sure you've heard of it, empanadas, right? But wherever Mm -hmm. you go, like we went to Estonia over the summer and you know, there's, everyone's got like a little bread pie, like everyone's got their version of the empanada. I mean, some of them aren't as good as Colombian empanadas, sorry, (laughs) but like, you know, and it's just like, it's just so fascinating when you travel or you go around or, or even like you said, like reading a book like Ms. Marvel. Uh, or, or other books, you know, where it's very much like how much there is a universal sort of connection that, that you can recognize in other stories. And, and that, that's just, what's always fascinating to me. And, but I'm also the type of person that gets excited by being exposed to like new things, new cultures, right? Like, and, and so like when I came across like what what your book was about and things like that. Like just the word for rags, right. Like, or the creature that Mm -hmm. you were just like, I love that it was like a Yiddish word. I love that it was in a different language, like, like that sort of thing. I'm just like, Oh, that's what that is. And, and just fascinated, you know, like, uh, hopefully this isn't like too sort of like generic for the Jewish culture, but like, like the history of the golem or something like that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, you understand? There
2: is a Goldman issue too, so keep reading. Nice,
1: nice. No, but I mean, I <laughs> yeah. just, I love so, the, like what you're doing with certain aspects of the culture and the language and stuff like that. And I love being exposed to that and and just opening my eyes up to something new and different. Right. So, I mean, well done in, in that aspect, because that's what got me to, to, you know, cause quite honestly, I go on Kickstarter a lot. I do interview a lot of like Kickstarters uh, and you know, whenever somebody shares a Kickstarter, there's all these other projects and it. These days it tends to be like TNA or whatever, like boobs, hey, Mm -hmm. boobs, you know? And so coming across what I found here was like a breath of fresh air and something that I don't come across a lot, like either on Kickstarter or in the comic shop or things like that. So uh, again, it's just like me, just kind of like singing your praises, but I just, I'm very curious about this book. And, you know, hopefully- you know, everyone should throw money at it, and I'm very kind of excited to
2: read it when it comes out. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited to have people read it too because so far it's been like, you know, reading. It's me, my editor, my artist. Sure. You know, like not even really like my wife. She's like, I'll read it when it's done. Uh, you
1: know, like, <laughs> oh, I know the feeling. Like, everyone's yeah.
2: like, I'm excited. This is interesting. It's something different, and I'm like, yes. Uh, I'm also excited, and I'm very curious to see if that lands for people. Sure. Uh, I think it will. Uh, but. You know, it's always that. That's one thing I really also wanted to do is I wanted to make a book that was completely different than anything else being offered. Yeah. And I was trying to describe this. I was doing doing the like, okay, is it X times? You know, people like it's like Jaws but Star Wars, you know, or whatever they use to pitch their books. Uh, and I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, yeah. it's a little Ms. Maisel or Mrs. Maisel. It's a little Ghostbusters in the sense that there's this team that's got to deal with supernatural stuff. It's, uh, it's a, like, a little, I guess, Fiddler on the Roof and, like, you know, various, you know, Yiddish, you know, like, uh, uh, literature that, like, almost nobody, like, really knows unless you've studied it or seen, like, the one play that, you know, is popular about it. Like, yeah. there's, it, it's hard to pigeonhole, and at first I was like, oh, man, how do I market this? Like, it, it's not, I have no idea how to describe this thing I'm writing and if people will even want to read it. But then the more people I talk to, it's it's been kind of the opposite. Everyone's like, Yeah, I want to read this because there is nothing like this, you know. Yeah. Another story about like, oh, here's a fantasy chosen one who's gotta like fight the all dark or whatever. It's like, yeah, I've read that like a billion times, you know. Uh, and and Ari, there can be great versions of that. I can't even all, tell you. All know like... that story.
1: I am, I mean, it is a little bit, I'm a little bit tired of like, it's this meets this, it's this meets this, Mm. it's this me, you know, and this is not that like, I mean, looking at the pages, like the things that jump out in my brain are like ragtime, like uh, the Sting, stuff like that, like very retro, like the great Gatsby, which is something that my daughter uh, just finished studying in in high school reading and stuff like that so i mean it's very much like that retro i think i could see like a groucho marx in the crowd there's like a crowd scene like where they're at a speakeasy or something like
2: yeah and uh my artist loves dropping in like characters it's great
1: no it's great i mean everything's great i mean especially for somebody like me who loves old movies and stuff like this so when i came across this and I, i i came across the aspect of the way that you were approaching it. I was just like, Oh, breath of fresh air. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm so glad that you reach out to me again, because this is something that I think people should be supporting and going like, and not to disparage other people, but I'm just tired of all the TNA on like, like, you know what I mean? I just like, great. That's great. Great for you. But this is, it seems like an actual story with like, you know what I'm saying? Like
2: a point of view. <laughs> The story it's got a thing to say it's got yeah. uh several things to say and, two and those things aren't yeah thank you and, and and i think the art really jives well with the things it has to say uh i mean i can't imagine doing this with uh anybody else in terms of of the artists i've seen uh i was looking online at kickstarter the other day and i was like eh, let's see how other campaigns are doing just out of curiosity i don't like comparing myself to other people because you Know then you're like, yeah. getting get into the oh, what am I doing wrong? What are they doing right? It's inevitable, uh, yeah. <laughs> there is, an artist, a, there yeah. is a lot of TNA on Kickstarter that is doing. I was like, oh, this campaign is like $13,000. funded. Yeah. and I was like, I see this is why there are many tentacles going, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woman yeah. who's wearing not much clothing, you know, yeah, like, <laughs> I get it,
1: yeah, uh but I'm, yeah, I'm
2: sort of the opposite. (laughs) Yeah, no, I
1: mean, this is great. I mean, I love that there's like a female lead. I love that there's female characters. I love that there's interracial stuff. You know what I'm saying? I love that there's different, but can you talk to me a little bit about one of the things that I'm I'm always very curious about? And it's just because I'm a sci-fi fantasy fan, the Jewish sort of mysticism aspect of it, you know, like the creature that you've got. What was the name of the
2: creature again? I'm I'm scrolling through the... So the the Shemata. The, the Shemata, Shemata. is the. Uh, okay, great. So here's the origin of the shmata. The origin of the shmata is there's this uh, one tailor who you'll probably see in the pages. Uh, Yaakov, the more religious-looking guy with the kippa and the the payus, That's the the hair on the side of uh, his head, curly by the ears. Uh-huh. Uh, it's sort of a Jewish commandment that you're not if you're religious and and follow uh, Jewish law, which I, I'm not particularly religious. Uh, you're supposed to keep your head covered if you're a man and not cut the hair on the side of uh, of your head as well as have a beard and stuff like that. So sure. that's, if you see a character that looks like that, usually that's an indication that they're more religious in some way. Okay. Uh, so this guy, just to give a heads up to anyone who's like, you know, just Judaism 101, you know? Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so this guy, Yakov Hefetz, he is, he's a tailor for, uh, for Stones, the company uh, where Rachel and her sister and Sonny and actually a lot of the characters work And he's trying to figure out a way to uh, to bring something extra special to the company to to improve its designs. And so he's landed on the idea of sewing uh, bruchas, which are it's just Hebrew for blessings. To sew blessings into clothing using essentially Morse code, you know, different stitches for uh, ones and zeros. Each of those representing a letter in the uh, Hebrew uh, alphabet, the the alphabet, and. his whole thing is, if we sew these blessings into this clothing, it'll give these you uh, whoever wears it, you know the the blessings that we sew, you know, longer life, good health, uh, you know, resistance to fire or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah.
2: And the, and he just gets kind of laughed out by uh, by the junior boss Lou, who's his whole thing is like, we're hemorrhaging money, we can't afford our mortgage on the new building, uh, like there's no way we're putting the man hours for this guy's crazy idea. You want to sell to like some of the religious clients? Forget it. The religious clients don't have any money. You know, they spend their days praying all day. Like, forget it. Yeah. Bad business idea. So this guy goes and he says, "You know what? I'm just going to do this myself." So he starts sewing all the uh, all the blessings on all of his clothing. He's going to show people this is his life's work. And then a a, a there's a fire that uh, hits the factory. And uh, out of an act of desperation, the man combines all the clothes with, as you can see in some of the images on the Kickstarter, with the uh, uh, the Sefirot, which is the uh, the Tree of Life, which is a Kabbalistic, mystic uh, sort of, I, I guess, depiction of, I guess, the world or the universe. It's uh, uh-huh. it's it's I don't. So I'm not a Kabbalistic scholar. <laughs> I'm sure someone's going to. Well, I was just going to ask, gonna like, how like, much
1: research did you have to do into any of that, or?
2: Yeah, I I did some, I did enough research to know what I'm doing, but not enough research to get like sure. into the actual, it's like an esoteric theology. It's not the kind of thing that like, if you get into it, you're getting into it. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like real mysticism you, stuff. You got into it enough to make a nice little
1: fantasy story about it. Let's put it that way. Exactly, yeah. And, and not be insulting or not be, or yeah, 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 yeah.
2: But, like, nobody – I mean, no one reading the book is going to be like, oh, this is a slightly different use of this Kabbalistic magic. That makes-. No, <laughs> no one cares. You never it's know, like, you, know Ari, you never know. <laughs> you never know. I would love to have someone come and, like, fight me on and be like, excuse me, but you're incorrect. And yeah. so <laughs> that's area.
1: great. That's great. No, so, I mean, I just so love so how – all- yeah. oh, no. Sorry. Go ahead.
2: Well, I was just saying, so, like, that's that's sort of the root of that. And, and the stuff that he's doing, uh, the – uh, the, the sort of the mystical sowing of, of, of blessings and these, that's part of this whole other sort of magical uh, sort of aspect of Judaism, which I've essentially just created. It's, uh, we will come to it more in issue two when it gets explained, because it's not explained in issue one, it just sort of happens and it's like, oh wow, magic stuff. Then in issue two, you realize sort of, you know, like, because I, I just want to get you in into the story in the first one. In issue two, you, it sort of gets explained a bit more and it's part of the, what I've just been calling the commandments, which is basically just like, Coding <laughs> because that's also what I do in my day job. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so, sort of like you know, and it and the reason I think that works in particular for Judaism is because Judaism is not really a transactional; it's a contract-based uh, uh, sort of religion. And this is something that Will Eisner puts perfectly. In the contract to God story, or a contract with God, not to God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a contract with God is the first graphic novel produced in the 70s by Will Eisner, who at that point had been drawing uh, cartoons and comics for decades. He yeah. Did the spirit back in the day. One and of my favorites of all
1: time. Yeah, I love Will Eisner. Yeah,
2: it's it, yeah, just phenomenal. Like that was a major inspiration for this, too, uh, the contract with God. And the idea that, uh judaism or religion is a contract with god it's it's a covenant it's something that god says you got to do these things and i'll i'll be your god and then you do those things and god is pleased and you know whether or not it works out for you is a whole other story usually it doesn't uh but it's the idea that there should be some sort of agreement and that's what i wanted the sort of the commandments and the sewing and all the magic to do is it's not a faith-based magic it's a You do something, and then you receive a blessing. It's almost like the way that people used to think about uh, magic. And actually, many people these days do think about magic. It's sort of like you give something, and you get something. It's almost transactional. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, as as people get into the story more with future issues when those come out, you'll – You'll you'll sort of understand the flavor of uh, of of the magic of the supernatural aspects a bit better, and I think it'll it'll be different and interesting because it's not quite like the other stuff that that people are doing.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: no, I mean it. It
1: just everything looks it, it, it's so like it looks refreshing, and and it looks like it's so funny to say this because maybe I've just been reading comics for too long, but it's just great <laughs> when something comes. No, I mean, honestly, like I've been reading I comics since I was, yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not going to lie. My age is 51. You know, I've been reading comics since I was like probably 10 or 11. I haven't read everything. I'm not Mark Wade. You know what I mean? But yeah, I mean, it's just few so, are. what's that? I said, few are. <laughs> yeah, few are. Exactly. Uh, you know, but I mean, it, it's just so great when something comes along that, looks different that looks interesting that looks like fun and has you know its kind of own point of view and looks like just something that you can just dive into and like enjoy like a real fun adventure and maybe sort of have your eyes open to something a little bit and and that's not saying it's a message comic it isn't at all it doesn't look like that to me from what I'm reading but I'm just like looking at the pages and and it's just like the the fight scenes and i love how the female protagonist is like this tough girl you know she gets into fights she's got the like workers cap on you know what i mean and she's kind of she's kind of like big bone like the, like she just it just looks great and i just love everything about your approach to it when you were sort of like designing her or the characters around her was this what you had in your head or did you just sort of like pitch it to the artist and and he kind of went with it and made her kind of like short of like short and squat, kind of like thick Mario. You know what I'm saying? Like fighter body. No,
2: she's, a, this is exactly what I had in my head. Uh, nice. she's modeled off of a lot of basically the women and the mothers, my mother's side of my family, who oh, tend nice. to be sort of short, stocky, really strong. Like my mom could beat my friends at arm wrestling when I was like a teenager. Like she's kind of, that <laughs> That's sort of awesome. type. <laughs> and so this is sort of, you know, uh, you know, sort of a reimagining of, you know, uh her her type uh or you know her 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 mother uh you know in a different sort of age where you know i don't think her personality was quite this sort of you know angry combative uh but the but the stubbornness these sort of like you know i don't care who you are i'll you know give lip to you that's that's sort of a very typical uh sort of it's it's kind of a stereotypical jewish women a jewish thing it's kind of like there's this i don't know there's this old I'm going to get this wrong, but there's this this old joke I I heard the other day about uh, these these three guys who are trying to, like, get their wives to do the dishes. And uh, one guy was like, I got my wife. I I told her she's got to do the dishes and, you know, took her a day to see it. But then she did. And the other guys, I told my wife to I wanted her to do the dishes and it took her, you know, took two days. And uh, and then, you know, she saw it. And then the guys I told my wife to do the dishes and the guy with his Jewish wife and it took me about a week and then I could start seeing again. (laughs) <laughs> you know, like, just like, nope. that's great that's great, <laughs> it, it's, that's great. And it, yeah it's that sort of like you know at, at this point a lot of the men uh were working or a lot of them if you're religious you would be you know praying or doing whatever your religious activities and be, because of that the culture at least for eastern european ashkenazi jewish women as opposed to like you know sephardic or uh german or british or whatever because you know different cultural differences based on different people and whatever that there's a general cultural stereotype of like the women run the household, and like you can say whatever you want, but you're not in charge. She's in yeah, charge, yeah, yeah, and yeah, she yeah. will like get her way at the end of the day, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh the sort of pushy kind of person. But you know what? Like, Which I, is I again it. like my universal. Kind of who... It's not just Jew, yeah. <laughs> like you know what I mean? That's true. It is a universal thing in many cases. Uh yeah. But it's like it's become so part of the stereotype that people are, oh, Jewish women are like this. But like, is that actually true? Or is it just like, you know, maybe just Poor people. Who yeah, te- the the wife has to like manage the household where the husband's like off doing something else. Yeah, and she's probably also working another job. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, that was my family. Like yeah. my my on my mom's side, like my grandfather worked at Ford's. Uh, when they came to Canada, it, they came to Windsor, Ontario. Oh, uh, which right across from Detroit. Uh, for those of you who don't know Windsor, it's south of Detroit. Uh-huh. And uh, he was working at Ford's for years uh, as, you know, just in the factory and he was on strike for a lot. So uh, my grandmother not only had to manage the household, but have a part time job uh, being a secretary. And she's sort of a part with Goldie's based on not a personality, but just the, you know, the person who's good with people at being a secretary where her sister is terrible at pe- with people. Like, you know, if someone asked Rachel to do something. Rachel would just be like, get out of here. Like, just like upset about <laughs> it, you know. Where Goldie is like can smile and sort of you know get her get her way uh that way so it's just sort of a different personality thing which of course I want different characters I wanted sisters but I wanted the sisters to be different as well you know classic like you know it's been done a million times before Anna Elsa two sisters different personalities whatever like you know you can see this a million places yeah like all the uh the, a lot of the tropes are here but it's all it's all uh it's all given it a spin so that it's, even if you're like, oh, you know, two siblings, but they're different people. Like that's, it's not, that that's not the thing that it's all about. It's about other things. It just happens to like use those tropes because they're super great, convenient tropes for like, you know, talking about people. You know? Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. I
1: mean, there's a lot of like questions I kind of want to ask, but one of them is obviously you must have uh, a love for this time period, right? Like for set, you're, you're setting this like, in like prohibition era, sort of like Canada, uh, like what North America, like what, uh, like, are you like a big hit fan of like this time period or was it just the story that came
2: to you and you're like, okay, I'm going to work with this. And the time period worked for a couple of reasons. Uh, The first is because I wanted to tell a story that had a sort of a criminal prohibition uh, element to it. Sure. And so once, once I settled on that, there's a bit of a thing for, like, uh, there's a speakeasy here, and I want that to be a big part of it. Sure. Uh, the inspiration for the speakeasy, actually—so the way that this speakeasy works, and, and you might be able to get a little bit from context from reading the page, is uh, at the time, one of the only ways to get legal alcohol in Ontario and in the U.S. and in many other places during Prohibition was getting a doctor's note. Yeah. Basically, you would go to a doctor and be like, my back hurts, and the doctor would be like, okay— have some whiskey. Here's a literal prescription that you can take to your pharmacist or gotcha. go the pharmacist. The pharmacist gives you the whiskey, uh, which is very similar to in the 2010s when uh, medical marijuana, marijuana was being yeah. pioneered. Yeah, that was what people did. And then it was like you had to go to a place, a doctor wrote you a prescription, and then you could like go to the back room and then get marijuana. So I thought that was really like kind of funny and like a, an interesting model that I wanted to produce here. So... It was just a few things came together for the time, uh, for the Prohibition era, but I also wanted to be a time that was uh, the interwar period and before the Great Depression, because this is a period of sort of optimism. Sure. Uh, The 20s, as a lot of people might know, is a period where, like, after the First World War, people were like, oh, this is modernity. We're embracing a new modern world. The First World War smashed the empires of the world. It it dissolved uh, the old order, and we are looking forward uh, and so I want that sort of idea of modernity and the way that people are looking to to, to move their lives in a in a different direction uh, to be a point of tension, because on on the other hand, a lot of them want to you know they they have uh, traditional connections. Like Rachel herself sees herself as being as she wants to be, uh, you know, she's sort of like kind of wants to be a bit of a modern woman in the sense of like you know, living in this, in this new world, but she has sort of traditional-ish values, like not, sure. you know, like hardcore traditional, but like, you know, she wants to keep the tradition alive. She wants to be, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want to not be Jewish. She wants to be Jewish. She sees herself as that way Yeah. where her sister is more modern. Her sister is dating, you know, a Chinese guy and doesn't really have the same sort of like quite the same cultural uh, uh, traditional side to her. And sure. so I wanted that to be a source of, not even like major tension uh, that's obvious, but just sort of a through line that, that gets that that gets put through. Because that's a universal story, right? Yeah. You know, come to a new place. Do you hold on to your old values? Do you adopt the new values? Yeah. Uh, and I just thought that this was a good time for that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's great. I mean, how much
1: research did you actually have to do into the time period? I mean, because obviously you get an idea and you're like, oh, okay, prohibition era, blah, blah, blah. Did you... Were you a fan of that sort of thing again, or, or was it something that you had to do a lot of reading into, or is it sort of like your family history? Like you were saying, like with your, with your, you know, your, your mother, your, your grandmother, stuff like that. Like how much actual of a deep dive
2: did you have to do into this, this period? So uh, some stuff I did more of a deep dive on others. Okay. Uh, I, it's funny, so I have a background in history. I actually have a PhD in history and philosophy of well, science and technology. Well, there you go, that, that, ex- so that does it. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a sense of how to do historical stuff, but I'm also, uh, I, I also wanted to only do it insofar that it helps the plot and not so it dominates everything. Because you can find fascinating historical tidbits about this era, and I did with all the research I did, which was a bit, I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, but not so much that it stops you from writing the story that you want to tell. Uh, and it so not so much that it sort of steers the story away from the very particular one., uh, so for example, uh into uh like into all the prohibition era stuff, I read a bunch of it to get a sense of like some, you know so, some some common stuff about that, but I wasn't trying to get a sense of who all the players were, exactly what they were doing because at the end of the day, I'm not gonna take. Uh, you know, I, I, like it's it's a fiction, it's a historical fiction. So you want enough of the flavor, yeah, and but not enough that it just makes a story become a history because it's not a history, it, it's a story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there are a couple of books that I used a lot. One is called The Ward: The Life and Loss of Toronto's First Immigrant Neighborhood, which is an anthology from a few years ago, uh, and there's a sequel to that. So there's a few particularly useful texts that I used, uh, and there's some stuff I'll use later uh, for. Uh, without giving anything away issue three has a whole other history of uh some stuff that happens in africa in the 19th century which i didn't know anything about until i started researching it and now that's a major part of uh that story so like different legacies different different histories but all you know you can't be an expert in everything and you could spend your whole time focusing on all kinds of stuff and i mean even like sunny's history sunny's born in uh, in, in Wuhan, he uh, there's the Wu Chang Uprising, which happens in, I think, 1911, which is the first, uh, basically the beginning of the end of the Chinese imperial dynasty, and wanted his story to be sort of linked to that change, a big social change in China that he sort of taught him lessons about how it informed his upbringing and that you know, made him the person he is. That doesn't even need to get addressed in any of the first few issues, because it's not about that, but it informed the character enough that I know... What like I know why he feels the way he feels, and later on, but I want to tell stories where his his past comes back to haunt him. I know what his past is, Uh, so there's a lot more in the notes than there is on the page, as there always is. Yeah, Uh, but I hope that in time, uh, the interesting things in the notes will will come, uh, you know, will end up on the page. Uh, But it has to be in a way that services the story and not just uh, here's a historical factus. Cause I had a bunch of times where I'm like, here's a cool scene." To my editor's like, this goes nowhere. I'm like, I know, but it's, but, but this happened. And she's like, I know, but it goes nowhere. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Got I'll it. put it in my back pocket. Maybe it'll come out uh, in another issue. You
1: know. Got it. Got it. Well, yeah. let me ask you, uh, you know, it's almost an hour. I don't want to keep you on for too long. Um, but the, the one question that I have, the one thing that I'm always interested in in particular is like, so I, I have my own like little comic that I work on in, as a hobby. I've only done one issue in like eight years or whatever. Right. But one <laughs> of the things that always comes up is like, it's, it has cats in it, right? It's like superhero cats. Oh, yeah. and, and one of the things that always comes up is like comic conventions. Right. And other venue like, like the thing that I've been hearing lately is other venues or other ways to reach out to communities that are not just comic readers. Right. Like, uh, you know, like there's actually cat conventions and someone's like, you should go to a cat <laughs> convention and sell it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have enough stuff like right now. Like, you know, maybe one day when I have more time to focus on it and stuff like that. So my question to you is this, and I don't know if it's question or advice, but have you reached out into any, to your like any local Jewish communities or, or anything like that um, to sort of help promote this book. Because I feel like this is the sort of thing where people would be like, Hey, wait a minute. This is really cool. This is unique to us. Uh, Let's help get this guy's stuff out because it's very professional looking. It looks very fun um, and you know, I've read your stuff before, so I know that you're a decent writer. Have you thought of anything like that? Because I mean, again, you don't want things to be pigeonholed and things are universal, but there's also avenues that you can use to sort of expand your reach, uh, in a particular, you know, whatever community or niche or whatever, whatever you want to call
2: it. Right. So have you explored any of that? Uh, yes. The, uh, the short answer is absolutely yes. Oh, okay. Uh, great. it, it yeah I, I've been speaking to, uh, to to some people in various uh, Jewish organizations within Toronto and uh, a few days ago there was a, a book launch for uh, Toronto Jewish writers that had done their own thing at uh, the book launch was happening at a local synagogue and I uh, I, I was emailing all the people and the guy uh, said hey actually why don't you come and talk about your thing there too so I did that's awesome uh, so I've been trying to do lots of that because it's not a a Jewish comic in the sense that it's just for Jewish people, but sure. like, that is naturally a lot of the people who are going to be interested in it. I mean, it's got a, such a particular cultural lens that, you know, you'll you'll get a lot out of it if you're a person that is, you know, from this culture. Yeah. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of that. I've been trying to uh, to hang out with different people in Toronto, either in the comic scene or sort of the uh, the Jewish, I mean the Jewish scene. There's many Jewish scenes depending on where you are. Some of them are quite geographically far from me because I'm downtown and people are in the suburbs. So like sure. it's been a lot of figuring that out. Uh, but yeah, no, I've I've been I've been talking to people and I've I've recently found someone who wrote me a bunch of uh, a bunch of letters of introduction to various people in the community uh, a few days ago and so uh, my my. My my looking for people thing I, has started to like once you find a few people who are like the connectors yeah you know that's when things start to take off and I've I'm starting to find some of the connectors yeah uh, so that's been great because it's been you know it's it's hard to promote something that's a comic thing outside the comic community because comics aren't a thing that a lot of people really it's thing of people everyone knows someone who reads comics yeah but most people don't read comics just like if you were to sample a hundred people random people in toronto most of them aren't people who regularly read comics that's yeah. just not it's a niche activity but it's you know it's finding the overlaps uh between comic readers and people who would be interested in the material regardless of the medium well I, uh that's been my task i, I think figure. the
1: biggest part you know, if you want my opinion, is that people aren't necessarily, I I, I think everyone's open to reading comics, right? Like I think almost everyone is open to like, oh, like, you know, you used to have the newspapers, right? And it would just be right there and you would open it up and everyone wanted to read the news. Everyone, everyone, like my father-in-law who was, you know, a uh, doctor and like a professor in sociology loved the comics page. Like, he loved it. It was one of the things that, you know, I would always send him like collections of like Bloom County or, or Doonesbury or, or like, you know, Hagar the Horrible mm-hmm. when I came across, because this is a very highly educated man, which you are apparently as well, you know, but loves comics. So I think that what people are not getting is exposed to comics, right? Like, it's not there in front of you. But I think if you are the one person, like let's say at the quote unquote cat convention or whatever that has a comic or you are the one person at the, you know, whatever, I'm just throwing things out. I'm ignorant, you know, like Jewish community center or whatever that has a comic and, and people are like, Whoa, what is this? They are going to gravitate towards that and look at it and pick it up. I that's, that's my opinion. And I think that that's where a lot of the comics community has gone wrong where it's just like comic conventions. And it's like, no, don't just do comic conventions. Do pet conventions. Do, you know what I'm
2: saying? Like whatever. Yeah, it, like, It's a yes. And it's like, yeah, you can do that, but you can do other stuff too. Yeah. You I'm be almost at the point too. where I
1: don't even know if comic conventions are the thing anymore. Like I I'm at least my experience, you know, I've just, and again, I don't have a huge fan following, whatever. It's a hobby for me. You know, I'm just saying, but I'm at the point where it's like, that my advice is almost like, if you've got con, just go to other shows. <laughs> like, like, do something else mm-hmm. because that's how people are going to be like, oh, I didn't know that this existed. Comic conventions are for comic fans and unfortunately seem to be a bit of a dwindling number. Like people that love the movies, that's growing, but actual comics. But if you go to another sort of whatever cultural thing, you know, just using your book as yeah. an example – you you might be the only one there, and people might be like, "What is this? I didn't know this existed." Damn, let me check this out. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I don't know if it's so much a question or advice yeah. or whatever, but I just am looking at this and I'm going, "This looks like a sort of thing that I think would just fly." Maybe not, maybe not always at a comic convention, but it's other places too. So that's just my my opinion because I think it looks really neat. So.
2: yeah it's it's sage advice and i think that advice works for for a lot of people is if you're doing something that has if you're doing a comic that has a a i'm going to call it a secondary audience yeah not that they're they're distinct but a a primary a, a large secondary audience with a different focus yeah then if you're not telling those people about your work you're you're just not like you're missing the point of stuff, like selling your own work. Yeah. You know, who's gonna want to read a, a book about, you know, like a Jewish hero? Probably a Jewish person. Sure. Like not not someone who who's not Jewish, they might also want to read it, and I hope Absolutely. they do, but just you know, like the bar is that much lower. You know, my wife's Chinese. If there's a book about a Chinese character, yep. she is like, I would say you know, like 75% more willing to like, just read it than not. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the same goes for like almost everybody and, you know, whatever their thing is, you know, yeah. and that's something I noticed a lot online with Kickstarter. There is a large, a, a large queer uh, community doing, yeah. you know, queer comics. And it was like, that's great. There's people, they're writing for the community. The community thinks this is great. Uh, they can present it at things that focus on comics, focus on queer stuff, focus on queer comics, like FlameCon or something like that. Like there's enough of an intersection between the medium and the broader community that might appreciate the story regardless of the media. Yeah. Uh, or regardless of the medium that's presented in. And it's finding a way to bridge those gaps that's going to make you, uh, you know, have a place. Yeah. Uh, and and let people know about what you're doing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the only reason I mention it is because this looks great, and I want you to have more, you know. Broad, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate broad that. acceptance. But uh, last question. I mean, this looks good enough for a publisher, like a big publisher, to me. This looks like something that you could find on a in a Barnes and Noble or you know comic book shop or whatever. Uh, have you? approach any publishers? Has there been any interest, like anything like that? I mean, if there's a publisher out there listening, do you want them to contact you? Like what? I mean, I know you've got your own, uh, uh I wanted to ask about the name of it, college street <laughs> comics, but yeah, are right, you yeah. interested in publishers or is this just like you want it your, your own thing?
2: Uh, the answer to that is is yes and no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I'm if a publisher said like, if someone like Boom, for example,
0: yeah. were
2: to say, hey, this is great. We would love to publish it. I'd be like, yes, because I like Boom. I think that this jives well with your work. Uh, you know, like, I'm, I don't see myself writing for, like, the big two, largely because I'm not using, sure. i not telling superhero stories and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. that was never a thing. But, if, you know, for example, if this becomes like an image book, like, that would be great. Yeah. But I wanted to do this by myself because it's a very particular story, uh, and it's also forty-four pages. Each issue is double the length of a standard comic. Yeah. So this is not the kind of thing that I think a lot of people would necessarily be interested in, interested in, uh, in in printing, or in publishing, just because of its like its length. Uh, but I have no idea. I mean, again, if anyone's listening from any publishers and you're watching this, you think this is great, reach out. I'll talk to you. Absolutely. Uh, I do have one other story that I've been working on, another series that I'm writing. Again, another ongoing series because I like making challenges for myself. Uh, I've written the uh, the first issue, The Art's Done Except for the Colours, and the second issue, uh, The Art will begin on it uh, shortly. That one's called Upkeep, and that's a horror story that's set in contemporary Toronto dealing with uh, the terror of finding housing in what is essentially a crazy, unaffordable housing market and what people will do to get the dream house, uh, the nice. house of their dreams. Uh, so cool. it's a, yeah, it's a, a. I like to sell it as a a magical murder house. <laughs> uh, Is that going to be a Kickstarter which, too? I think it's going to be a Kickstarter too. But that's the kind of story that if a publisher like uh, like Scout or Mad Cave or or anyone, I mean, that's like independent. I'm mentioning them just because I saw, uh, you know, they're looking for for people these days, and I I put my hat in the ring for Mad Cave. But that's the kind of story that I feel if a publisher wanted to pick up. Uh, it would be a lot easier for me to work with them just because the issues are smaller, and I think it's like this. This Warden's is like so weirdly personal uh, and so like weirdly local and hyper focused that I don't see people being like, "I want to print this." But uh, yeah, they, I mean, or no. publish this. But if they do, go. I for disagree. It, you know?
1: I mean, if I was a publishing yeah. company, I would look at this and be like, "Let's do it." Like this looks great. I mean, it looks.
2: Anyone and anyone can reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk. So please. That's awesome. That's
1: awesome. I mean, I'm just going to say it right now. I I have not read the book. I'm just going off of what I'm seeing on Kickstarter and the pages. But this looks to be like one of my favorite new finds of the new year. And you can quote me on that. Like this looks great. I mean, this looks like something I want to read. And I don't say that about uh, everything. And I'm just like, this looks like okay. uh, Just send it to me now. So absolutely. Warden's number one, currently on Kickstarter, Ari Gross. Thank you again for joining me. Any final words on Warden's number one? Because uh, I want people to discover it. And uh, hopefully this podcast will help a bit. But
2: uh, yeah, uh, any final thoughts? If you're looking for something that is literally unlike any other comic you've read, a story that takes place in a place you've probably never even heard about, uh, but a real historical location with interesting historical communities. And you want a story that's fun, upbeat. You're going to learn something. There's going to be some twists. There's going to be some tears. There's going to be some uh, some laughs. Uh, grab Wardens. If you take a look at the Kickstarter page and you like what you see, it, you will love the book. Uh, it's that yeah. plus more. And it's, I mean, it's fun. It's I've already
1: contributed to it. So again, Wardens, Thank you so much.
2: one. On Kickstarter. Where can people find you online, Ari? People can find me on Instagram at College Street Comics. That's college underscore uh, street or ST. I should know this off. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you should. What's my Instagram name? Uh, uh, comics. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Ari uh, uh, B. Gross. Twix. Although I am not really on Twitter that much. I am technically on Twitter. You can contact me, but I don't really hang out there these days. That's okay. Uh, I
1: like to give people a hard time for still being on Twix.
2: <laughs> but yeah. 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 I, I'm I'm reposting everything, but I don't really talk with anyone. It's Sorry. So Instagram is college underscore ST underscore comics. Yeah. And you can go to my webpage, which is www.com regross.ca Ari that's a-r-i-g-r-o-s-s.ca yeah. there you can check out i've got uh, i think 10 different comics the last time i checked uh the website you can read a bunch of them that are for free uh you can read all my shorts uh varying in you know different subject matter and length and uh get a sense of me as a writer and what i'm writing and you know just I mean, there's free comics. You should read them.
1: Yeah. Well, Ari Gross, I mean, I'm a fan. Thank you for coming back. It's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Um, again, I this is like one of my favorite new finds of 2024. So like if I made lists like that, which sometimes I'm a little too lazy to do for comics for some reason, <laughs> I love doing it for movies, but not for comics. But this right now would be like, everyone check this out. So it's Warden's number one, currently on Kickstarter Uh, Ari Gross, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming back. Thanks for having me. It's
2: been great chatting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Christian Horn. Uh, This has been another episode of the Part-Time Fanboy podcast. Uh, You can check us out on parttimefanboy.com. Our email is ptf at parttimefanboy.com. We are still on Instagram. We are still on Facebook. We have abandoned the hellscape that is Twix. Um, Thank you for listening. Please go support this Kickstarter. Honestly, like, this is the sort of thing that just gets me like, oh, I love comics again. So, <laughs> like, Warden's number one. Thank you, uh, Ari, for sharing it with me. And we will be back soon with another episode. Bye. Hard time,